0: We are gonna continue our study of Acts this morning. If you want to turn to Acts chapter thirteen, that's where we're gonna be. Where we left off last week, Peter had just been miraculously released from prison. He remember the angel of the Lord came and and told him, Get up and get dressed, we're out of here. And so the chains fell off his his wrists. He was chained to two guards. And the chains fell off his wrists and, and the prison door opened. And they walked right by all of the guards. The, the enemy was completely blinded to everything that was going on. They walked right past the guards and right to the city gates which opened before them. And, and so really a lot of the rest of chapter 12 is, is Peter telling this story to the church. He goes back to the church and, and, and says, Listen to what God has done in my life. And he tells the church. And then at the, at the very end of chapter 12, there's a story about Herod. Herod goes looking for Peter, and can't, he's not there. And so Herod interrogates and then kills the guards that were on duty when Peter got away. So they're slaughtered. Then, then Herod goes on to Caesarea, and, and he goes to Caesarea and puts on his royal robes. He gets all gussied up, as we'd like to say, put, puts on his Sunday go-to-meetings. And, and he gives a speech. Now in the midst of this speech, they, the, the people are saying all, the, the, the voice of Herod is the voice of God. And, and so Herod dies in the midst of the speech. An angel of the Lord come and comes and kills him in the midst of the speech. In fact, in verse 23 of chapter 12, it says that the worms ate him and he died. So if you think in pictures like I do... There's your graphic for you. Herod, giving this speech in his royal robes, gets eaten by worms and dies. And so what we have is, is we, have, we have Paul or Saul, Barnabas and John Mark that are all then going back to Jerusalem. So that's kind of where we, left, where we leave off in chapter 12. It says, but the word of God spread and multiplied, After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along with them John, who was called Mark. So that's right at the end of chapter 12. So let's pick up in in chapter 13 of Acts and read just the first three verses. They are here behind me. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them off. So let's look at the context here of what's going on. We see... When we get to, to Acts chapter 13, we see a dramatic shift. Now remember, up to this point, it was really all about the, the Jews telling the Jews about the Messiah. But then Peter has this, uh, this encounter with Cornelius and Cornelius' family and friends, and, and these Gentiles received the Lord, and so now it is going beyond the Jews. So what we see in chapter 13... Is the spread of the gospel from the Jewish areas to the rest of the world? You remember in in, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says Jesus told them, "You will receive the Holy Spirit when you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." And so we have literally seen that process. We've seen the gospel spread in Jerusalem. By Peter and John, we've seen it. Then go to Judea by Peter, and then Samaria by Philip, with Peter following him. Now the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. So we have Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. Now Mark, or John Mark, this is the—he's a companion of Paul's, and this is the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. So. It, the theology is very, very similar between the writings of Paul and Mark because they, they ran around together. Now, you may know Paul and Mark have a falling out because Paul and Barnabas and Mark are going on this mission trip and then Mark decides, no, I'm going home, I'm done, I'm out. He goes home. And so Paul says he has no use for, for, for Mark anymore. But they later make up because uh, Paul calls him a brother and a fellow worker in the kingdom of God in Colossians 4. And then there's there's another name here that I want to pick out, and that's Herod. Because we need to understand the Herods because there's a lot of them. Okay? The one that died at the end of chapter 12 is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the ruler over the entire area for the Romans. Herod the Great had had four sons. And what he did was he broke up the the area, the territory that he had into four tetrarchs, quarters or governors, and put his sons in charge of each one. So Herod the Great is the one that the Magi came to when Jesus was about two. The Magi came, asked about Jesus, and Herod uh, proclaimed that all of the the Jewish boys under the age of two would be killed, trying to kill Jesus. So Jesus, Mary, and Joseph go to Egypt. That's Herod the Great. That's the one that's eaten by worms and dies during his speech in Caesarea. Pretty cool. (laughs) I have to admit, I like it. Now, what we have here is Herod the Tetrarch. Now, a Tetrarch is a governor, and so this is Herod Antipas. This is Herod the Great's son. This is the Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded. He was uh, trying, to, uh, trying to get the attention of a, of a woman, and so he had John the Baptist's head chopped off to get the attention of this woman. That, uh, this is the Herod we're talking about. Herod Antipas, he's, he's called Herod the Tetrarch, so the, we keep it separate. So then this, this verse, verse 1, tells us that we have prophets and teachers all through this, uh, the, the before this list. Now, we need to understand that the biblical definition of prophet, because we think prophet, we think fortune teller. <laughs> we think somebody that tells the future. But that's not what a biblical prophet is. A biblical prophet is someone who is who tells the truth of God as harshly as it's told to them. They they just have uh, the the gift of prophecy we still see in the church today. And usually these people are thought to have no mercy or compassion (laughs) because they simply tell what God says. They have such a commitment to what God says that there's no room for discussion. God said it, that settles it. We still have this this the gift of prophecy in the church today. Then we also have teachers, and and the gift of teaching is also still a gift that we see in the church today. And this is just someone who can explain what God says so that it's understandable. So we have prophets and teachers, and, and quite often these two gifts go together. A prophet knows what God has to say and can explain it, in a way that it's understood. So we have these two that are talked about, prophets and teachers, and we have these still in our church today. Now, as you look at the apostles, you think of Paul, and you think of Peter, and you can see both prophet and teacher in them. Because Peter proclaims the word of God, and then he follows Philip through Samaria, teaching them teaching them what Philip had told them about the gospel. He did the pastor role, as I said then. And then uh, with Paul, we, as soon as he has his encounter with Jesus, Paul is then explaining what, who the Messiah is to everyone. So we see prophet and teacher in Saul or, or Paul and in Peter. So let's talk about the rest of the players that are here in, in verses 1 through 3. First one is Barnabas. Now, Barnabas has, his name is pretty much synonymous with encouragement, isn't it? We all know Barnabas as the encourager. We still have this gift in the church today as well. Those who, are, who encourage, and we call them Barnabases, because Barnabas is just synonymous with encouragement. He encouraged Paul to go on the mission trips. He encouraged Paul to take John Mark with him. And then when Paul and, and John, uh, John Mark have a falling out and Paul says, I have no use for this guy, Barnabas encourages Paul to, to give Mark a second chance. And Mark becomes a great missionary with Paul because Barnabas encouraged that relationship to happen. So Barnabas is the first one listed. Now, as a side note, I guess, many biblical scholars make the case that Barnabas is the writer of the the book of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews, we think of it as Paul, but it specifically says in chapter 2 that that the the writer of Hebrews heard the gospel from those who heard it from Jesus. And Paul heard it directly from Jesus. So we know it's not Paul. But as somebody who is like Paul, who ran around with Paul enough to, to speak like Paul, who was Jewish and knew the rituals and and traditions and those kind of things, and came to Christ through the apostles. So the case for Barnabas being the writer of Hebrews is pretty strong. It's a pretty good case. Now the next guy listed is Simeon, who is also called Niger. Niger is the, the Latin word for dark skin. So he's probably a black man, and he's probably from North Africa, uh, Cyrene area. And he may actually be, we don't know too much about these guys except what we can pick up from other scripture. Uh, Simon, who is called Niger, um, in in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, there's a group of, of men from Cyrene, it says who received the Holy Spirit and who uh, saw all of the works of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Simon, Simon or Simeon is probably there. Now, there is also, in, in three of the Gospels, there's the story of the man, Simon the Cyrene, who carries the cross of Jesus the last part of the way. So this may be the same guy, Simon or Simeon uh, of Cyrene. So Cyrene is, the reason I say North Africa, Cyrene is basically Libya today. So it's that North African area of Libya. So we have Simeon or Simon, who is called Niger. Then we have Lucius of Cyrene, obviously another one from from North Africa. And Lucius is probably one of the ones, in, in chapter 11, there's a group of men who, after finding out that Peter had had gotten the gospel to the Gentiles, there's a group of men that take off and head to the Gentiles in Antioch to to show them the gospel, to spread the gospel there. Lucius is probably that one of those. So he's probably one of the founding members of the church in Antioch. Then we have Menaean, who is a friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this word friend, it's really... Uh, friend isn't a good translation because it's much closer than that. It's almost brother or stepbrother. It's quite likely that Manan and Herod the Tetrarch grew up together. They, they grew up in the same house, perhaps, because this word is also used for stepbrother. So, so Menaean would have had social status and power because he not only knew the governor, but he literally grew up in the house of Herod the Great. So he would have had great status. He would have had great power. And then we have Saul. We know this guy, right? We know Saul. We, also, we call him Paul. He's the writer of the, about two-thirds of the New Testament. He's probably the greatest Christian missionary of all time. Paul. Remember who Paul was and who Paul is now. Paul is being commissioned here as a missionary for the Christian church, the same Christian church that he was the chief persecutor for when he was a Pharisee. Now he's being commissioned as a missionary for this church. So they receive the call to send. The Holy Spirit speaks to all of these believers in Antioch and tells them to set Saul and Barnabas aside for this work. Now, at the time that they get this message from God, they're worshiping and fasting. Now, this is a powerful combination because worship seeks the face of God and and fasting seeks the hand of God. We're looking for mo- the movement of God in fasting. So in in, in worship and fasting, we're seeking... God to move. We're seeking what the will of God is and, what, and, and, and we're looking for God to move. And that's exactly what happens. God moves. He tells them, Saul and Barnabas, I got jobs for them. I'm sending them. Set them apart for me. Now, I, I, I want to point out here that the church obeys the call of God here because it's easy as a church to think, well, we need those gifts here, right? Who doesn't want a great encourager, and a great teacher in our church, right? So we could just, uh, could we ignore the call of God here and and just keep these guys? Because think of the great ministry that could be done in Jerusalem by these guys. That's not what the church does. The church obeys God. The church must do the will of God. And so they do. They set them apart and pray with them. Worship and fast and pray and fast again. Lay hands on them and send them. This is the the privilege of the church. The privilege of the church is to recognize the call of God on someone's life and, and promote it and send them. And that's what they do. But what I want you to see is that God has a call on your life as well. Think about as we have studied our way through Acts, we have seen so many different people come to Christ, and then what do they do? They're baptized and they go spread the gospel. They use the gifts they've been given to spread the gospel. They immediately start serving the church and start spreading the gospel. Every single one of them. You know, in, in Corinthians, Paul is very clear that each and every believer in Christ is given spiritual gifts. You may be a teacher. You may be a prophet. You may be an encourager. You may be a, a, a someone who, who enjoys serving. All of these are gifts meant to be used in the church to spread the gospel. That's, uh, that's what the pattern that we see all through the book of Acts. And so I have to ask you... Are you using your gifts to spread the gospel? Because you've heard me say it many times from this platform, but I'll say it again. The gifts of God, all that God has given you, they're not meant to just be consumed, they are meant to be conveyed. You are loved in order to be loving, you are forgiven in order to be forgiving, you are given mercy in order to be merciful. You're given grace in order to be gracious. All of these gifts of God are meant to be consumed by you and then conveyed. That's what these guys did. That's what Paul or Saul and Barnabas and Mark did. That's what this church in Antioch did. That's what we do. We use the gifts we've been given to spread the gospel. So I ask you again, are you using What God has given you to spread the gospel, to serve Him and His church and spread the gospel. I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads for a moment. Because this is the only this is the question. First of all, do you know Christ? Do you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit by a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because you can have a relationship with Him starting right now. It's as simple as a prayer. And it just, it just acknowledges that we, that, that we have sin. God, I have sin in my life. I have done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died in my place on that cross to give me forgiveness, to give me grace. And so I ask you to forgive me for my sin, not because of anything I could ever do, but because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. And I ask you to come into my life. Grant me these gifts that I might tell others. Grant me love that I might be loving. Grant me forgiveness so I can be forgiving. Grant me grace that I might be gracious. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Elbow me, elbow your neighbor and let them know. Come and let me know. Maybe this morning you know Christ, but you are not engaged in, in spreading the gospel with the gifts you've been given. Will you right now, between you and God, commit to using what he's given you for his glory? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that for the, the example that we see in this first church. And we thank you that you've given us everything we need to tell others who you are and what you've done. Remind us of the commitment we make. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. We're going to close by singing, Lord, I need you.